You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Hey, Dr. Oz. Hey, Kylie. (laughs) We are back with Key Matters and we're doing what, 1889 and 1890? Yes, that's right. All right. Well, kick us off with 1889. All right. So a little bit of context, just like I always do. On January 30th, 1889, Archduke Crown Prince Rudolf of Austria and his mistress, Baroness Mary Vetsera, were found dead in their hunting lodge in Meierling, um, which that has been made into a couple of films. And because of Prince Rudolf's death, the next heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne was Franz Ferdinand. And we all know how that turned out. (laughs) Well, so wait, found dead in their hunting lodge. Was it murder? Scholars believe that it was a murder-suicide because Rudolf, I should have it. He or she? Who instigated it? He or she? Um, The theory is it was Rudolf that he shot her and then himself. Um, jerk. I should have pointed out, well, I should have pointed out that he was already married. Oh. And okay. <laughs> you did say mistress. Okay. He was already, he was already married. And of course he couldn't divorce his wife, Stephanie to marry. And Mary wasn't considered, you know, uh, court material. So, um, he didn't really see any other way out. And, um, Got that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, on to happier news. Uh, Benjamin Harrison became the 23rd president of the United States on March 4th. And he is Indiana's only pre- only president from, from Indiana and the grandson of William Henry Harrison. On March 31st, the Eiffel Tower opened in Paris. And then a few months later, the um, World's Fair took place in Paris. So Lots of visitors and attention surrounding the Eiffel Tower. On April 4th, the first dishwasher was marketed in Chicago. And the reason I bring that up is the uh, patent holder was a woman named Josephine Cochran. So uh, three years earlier, she received a patent for her design. And this design was picked up primarily by restaurants and other businesses. So it's, it's a commercial dishwasher. It does not resemble um, anything like our, our home dishwashers. And I know you'll like this in April, uh, in April, 1889, George Eastman began selling flexible rolled film. Yay, Kodak. Yes. And on October 6th, Thomas Edison showed his first motion picture. And then a month later, Nellie Bly embarked on her trip around the world, finishing in 72 days. Right on. And one additional note on President Benjamin Harrison, his home in Indianapolis for many years was under the direction of a Kappa named Phyllis Giesland. So I know a lot about Harrison through Phyllis, and she was an incredible leader of that presidential site um, and I know is well-respected within the field. So shout out to uh, Phyllis Giesland and all the work she did at the Harrison home. And then just a couple of mentions about um, famous people born in 1889. A. Philip Randolph, the American labor leader, was born in this year, uh, actor Charlie Chaplin, and 
a uh, Columbus, Ohio connection for you, screenwriter and singer Elsie Janice, known for her film Women in War and also as the sweetheart of the AEF during World War One. AEF is American Expeditionary Force? Yes. I always forget what that means. Thank you. Okay. So now looking at our first issue in March, um, there was a really interesting essay about the history of dress, and it concluded with a discussion of reform dress. And I thought it was really funny because the author noted sort of the pros of reform dress, but then followed that up with, be, but need it be so ugly that a woman wearing it is sure to bring herself into disrepute and comment as being uncomfortably strong-minded. <laughs> so that reminded me of uh, Ada Mariner's lecture on reformed dress, which was actually given the next year in New Orleans. So I printed a, a copy of the article from the Times Democrat, uh, November 29th, 1890. And just to read a little bit about that, Ada said um, that she preferred a different style of dress for women to free them from the shackles of present fashions. A woman's garments, according to her views, should consist of but three garments, a union suit, bifurcated or split skirt, and uh, a dress, uh, which should all be made into one piece. So. All into one piece. That seems like it'd be even more of a pain to put on. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. So then as, as we move into 1889, there are a number of comments and essays about Kappa's forthcoming 20th anniversary. And in this, this particular essay, it draws parallels to the women's rights movement. So I thought that was interesting because we are always trying to connect um, the, the birth of the women's fraternity movement and the women's rights movement. So and this, this essay is actually by uh, Tate Hearts of Coons. And she says, um, it should be a matter of no small moment that our advent was so nearly coeval and our progress so entirely coextensive with the movement, the women's rights movement, which has characterized the age. And in the same essay, uh, Tate makes, it, makes a suggestion about creating some kind of scholarship fund or, or grant process to help women further their education. And then, so we, we move from sort of these lofty ideals to the section called, now called Greek gossip. <laughs> and, uh, and some of the Kappas are throwing a little bit of shade at Pi Beta Phi um, because they're talking about Kappa is not a cirrhosis, but a fraternity. Cirrhoses are local and particular. Fraternity is typical in general. And a fraternity stands upon the firm basis of universal sympathy and not upon the shaky foundation of a close partisanship. The most ardent members of the Cirrhosis Pi Beta Phi would hardly venture to place their organization on a par with either of the great women's fraternities. Well, and that's interesting because when I talk about 1890, I didn't really include it because I didn't think much of it, but they are um, they're highlighting a note in Pi Phi's magazine, The Arrow, and it says their convention has voted on cirrhosis, which is interesting because they have been functioning as a fraternity. 
So even PyFi seems to have uh, some uh, maybe disagreement within their, their rank and file. I don't know. At some point, it kind of seems like it all comes down to semantics. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because their, their aims, their objectives are, mm -hmm. are very similar. So. Yeah. Um, so the moving on into the June issue, I've started to notice um, a trend, I guess you could say. So the, the summer issues typically focus on careers and, you know, Kappa's out in the, the working world. And they started this, this series of essays about, about careers, or they call, it, they call it after commencement. So most of them do focus on where different careers that women are you know, kind of making headway in. So they, they highlight things like medicine, um, bookbinding apparently was this up and coming field that women could be involved in. And it makes sense because, you know, the art of bookbinding does lend itself to women's deafness and nimble fingers. Um, I did think about pursuing a career in bookbinding for a hot second when I was in library school. Because uh, Indianapolis does have a book bindery, and they do a lot of um, decorative and you know artistic type of work, but those machines are really scary and <laughs> giant needles. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, I could lose a hand. <laughs> well, we could take up the hobby of hand book binding. That could be interesting. Where because I I saw it in either a television show or a movie where they were showing the binding and it was a giant machine but it was manual so it wasn't like super fast needles coming down it was it was a little bit slower that could be our winter hobby perhaps that could yeah i actually would be really interested in pursuing something like that one of the other interesting things about this after commencement series and this this essay in particular about career suggestions and I should point out that this, this essay is by Alice Moody of New Chapter, but she mentions women's exchanges, which I discussed in a Front Porch Friday, which I encourage everybody to go check those out on Stuart House's Facebook page. But basically, a woman's exchange sells handicrafts and other types of work made by women so it's you know it's run by women the the business is set up by women and it's there to um, provide extra women with extra income that would not be able to pursue a career outside the home so it's a very unique venture so like a co-op you would say yeah yeah it's basically like a co-op um, at this point Kappa is discussing whether they should have, well, I guess the, the question isn't whether they should have a fraternity flower. That seem, They seem to be settled on that, but what, what kind of flower are we going to choose? And, you know, it needs to grow. It needs to be available year-round, and it needs to be something that, um, I guess, is recognizable, maybe that, that stands out from the other uh, fraternities and so it, it seems like the hyacinth at one point was a, a major contender and the maiden hair fern that was one of my my uh, favorite suggestions um, and then we have an advertisement in the back of this June issue for milliner George M uh, Weathern, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, and nothing quite as exciting as the Pond's advertisement, but, 
but there are so many fonts. So I thought of you because there are so many fonts in this ad. I think each line of the advertisement is in a different font. And I just thought how this is, this is really just distracting, but mm -hmm. like, look at us. We finally have access to all these different types of type. I mean, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a reason why they so many show up in these advertisements is just the excitement of, oh, we can use this one and we can use this one. And just like we are with you know, thing, features with our phones. Now. Yeah, well, and it's like the patterns and colors that were available to Victorians and why when you walk into a house, it's like, whoa, there's lots of colors and busy patterns going on. So looking at September, I don't have as many comments, but June 25th, 1889, Lucy Webb Hayes passed away. And I bring that up because we have that, that doll, it's a replica of her in the archives. And also it took a trip on the Minnie Stewart van and uh, you know, she was an honorary Kappa. The new songbook uh, is available in the fall of this year and it contains a song. <laughs> called The Bonnie Goat of Kappa Kappa Gamma that was submitted by none other than our, my, one of my favorite chapters at Buckdell uh, Lambda chapter. And I just had kind of wondered if this was any relation to the fuzzy wonder goat. <laughs> well, and then again, I didn't mention it just because it didn't seem huge, but in the 1890, I forget which issue, um, Kai chapter then almost writes an apology about the songbook because they heard... I mean, gosh, our sisters can be rough. Uh, they had heard from other chapters that they were disappointed that more music wasn't included. And they were like, yeah, we wanted it too, but we tried to get the rights and we couldn't get it. It would have been crazy expensive. Um, and then they pointed out there are also very few original songs. So it was almost like a scolding. Um, so many chapters had used tunes that existed and then either rewrote the lyrics or wrote fresh lyrics. Uh, but very few original songs and uh, so they were apologetic but it also seemed like um sort of under their breath they were like yeah okay you try it next time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure if this the bonnie goat of kappa kappa gamma was an original song or not but it just made me laugh <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then just wrapping things up with december Again, we have this, this series called After Commencement, talking about women in various career fields. Uh, they do point out uh, medicine, and so I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit just because of my you know, interest in Dr. Crawford. But this author said um, of the woman physician, she enters the home always welcomed, even though it be a sad greeting, that she becomes a family advisor, to her patients and I just I don't know I know we're, we're about 15 16 years out from Dr. Crawford attending medical school but I don't know if she would have always found that to be the case especially when she was you know on the on the ambulance if you know her her presence was always welcome because she did have to deal with people biting her somebody Ugh. almost threw her, threw her out a window she had to wrestle people to the ground you know so i, I can't say that that just because she was a woman and then right. you know that she you know she was going to be welcomed by the the family um so, and did she learn like self-defense or combat in medical school? <laughs> I, I think I think she probably had to be self-taught and it probably helped that she was quite athletic, that she played basketball. And that's something that 
the newspaper's comment upon when she receives this appointment is that, well, she looks like she could take care of herself. Um, so, yeah, but I, I that, that comment in the essay is interesting because even though there are people pushing for total equality for women, there's also this sense that women are uniquely gifted in um, for certain careers. And yeah. that because there is this woman's sphere and that's the, um, taking care of a home and raising a family that, well, that means that they would make good nurses or they would even make good physicians, especially if they were working in women's clinics or, you know, something of that nature. And then this issue included an essay by one of your favorite Kappas, um, Jean Penfield. Yay. Also a Hoosier. And a Hoosier, yeah. <laughs> and a Hoosier uh, from, from DePaul. And she is, they've kind of moved into this, this uh, situation where they're, they, they choose a question and then people submit various responses. So it's like a debate by correspondence. And there, this question that they were considering was whether Kappa should establish chapters at women's colleges instead of just at co-educational institutions. And um, Jean says, really comes out on the, on the negative, saying that, well, if, if we establish chapters at women's colleges, these institutions do not and cannot appreciate the distinction between our fraternity as an exclusive secret organization and class societies. And then even the people who were willing to consider possibly establishing chapters at women's colleges, well, the question is, do women's colleges have the same high standards that we're looking for? Do they have the same high standards as co-educational institutions? So there, there was a concern that schools like Wellesley, Vassar, um, Mount Holyoke, that yes, they educated, they educated women, um, they, they were fulfilling their purpose, but potentially students who are attending these schools are sort of leading, for lack of a better explanation, sheltered lives. If they had gone to co-educational institutions, they would have been you know, put to the same held to the same standards as, as the men, and they would have been able to take their place in society um, better, been, been, able, been a, better able to compete in their, their field. That's interesting. I've never paid any attention to their opinions, they being the women in higher education at this time, to their opinions on women's colleges. Um, I guess now it, it obviously makes sense for everything that you just described, but they are so well-respected and highly regarded now, it's amazing to even think that people who didn't attend there would be haughty about it. And I, I get it because then when I talk about 1890, they're, they're still discussing women's fear and higher education and co-education, but how interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't particularly aware of this opinion regarding um, institutions of higher learning, but I did come across it when I was doing some research into women's medical schools. And so once, oh, like yeah. University of Michigan and Cornell, once they started to open their doors to women, there was a concern that, oh, you know, these, these women's colleges are, you know, are they holding their students to high standards? And, and a lot of the deans of the women's medical schools says, yes, we hold our, our students to 
higher standards than the men. And if you think about, you know, where we were with um, medical education for men, it was kind of it easy to get a medical degree. Now it's, yeah. it's becoming by this point in 1889. Yes, there is, it, there are more, there are standards. There is more professionalization, but earlier, if we look just, you know, 20 years earlier, that would not have been the case. Huh. Interesting. Who knew that our magazine reviews would become a survey in higher education? Yeah. But that's what the magazines were doing. So yeah, makes sense. So that, that wraps up all of my commentary. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by Dr. Mary Osborne and me, Kylie Smith. Thank you.